Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. I'm the CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors and the chapter president of the Entrepreneurs Organization of Washington, DC. Today's guest is a masterful crafter of narratives and a sought after storyteller, a leader, coach, professional speaker, the author and podcast host of Your Stories Don't Define You. Please welcome Sarah Elkins. Thanks, Greg. It's such a pleasure to be on the show with you. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. It's great to have you. So my, my, this podcast is about leadership and my favorite question to ask my guests are, tell me some misconceptions around leadership. Well, because I focus on storytelling, I would love to share misconceptions in leadership storytelling because it's such a buzzword right now. And it kind of drives me crazy because, um, first of all, so many people, so many leaders, especially think that their stories have to be epic in order to be shared. You know, it's the, I almost died or I almost lost my business stories. And they tend to be not as relatable as your most meaningful pivotal moments in your life. So um, that's, that's one misconception. Another misconception is that it's not necessary to share personal stories at work. And um, really, if you wanna connect with people, they need to know what matters to you. And the best way to share your vision and your values is to share something personal. And then the last one that I was thinking about pretty hard, because I have a lot, but this one, this one is kind of a kicker. People believe that stories have to show extreme vulnerability to be inspiring. And that is absolutely not true. There is some level of vulnerability that needs to be exposed. But if you are the kind of person that's very analytical and task-oriented, as a strengths finder coach as well, there's no way I'm going to recommend that you share a story that's going to make you so uncomfortable and so vulnerable that you're not going to be able to relate to the people around you because you're going to be so uncomfortable. So those are my three top misconceptions about leadership storytelling. Those are fantastic. Um, I'd love to dive in deeper on, on all three, but let's jump into number one first. When you mentioned that the stories that you tell don't have to be epic. So many times we see leaders or people on TV and it is that near death experience that you're trying to get them moved. But to your point, when you're leading a team and trying to get them motivated, talk a little bit more about sort of the, the necessary level of your storytelling in order to be inspiring or lead. Sure. Well, this, we can combine all three of the misconceptions in one, one answer. And that is when you think about a time that um, you were uh, less confident or that somebody mentored you, that somebody really made a big difference in your life. And you can do, you can talk about a very specific conversation you had with that person. What that does is the person in front of you is going to realize that you don't think this person has to do it all themselves. 
that you can be a resource for them or that you can provide resources for them if you're not the right person to share whatever they need in terms of help. And as an example, um, when I was in a really hard job for me, the job itself I could do, it wasn't pleasant for me. It was compliance for a federal grant. And I don't even like rules. <laughs> it wasn't a great fit for me. But um, it was the relationship I had with my boss was really full of friction and conflict. And now, as I look back as a strengths finder coach, I can put it all together in a totally different way, but you know, rear view mirror and all that. But at the time, my confidence had tanked. I mean, really, I was feeling so uncomfortable and small and incompetent, even though all of my work was getting accolades. And because of this abuse for my boss, I was really, my confidence was in the toilet. And I asked somebody that I knew that I thought knew me okay, somebody I'd worked with just briefly in a previous position, I asked him if I could buy him lunch. And he was the CEO of an organization in town, very well known. And he said, yeah, absolutely. I said, I just, you know, I need some guidance here. And this was so hard for me, Greg, to ask for guidance because I'm, I'm all over, you know, just taking control and doing what I need to do. So when we sat at the table, the first thing he said was, Sarah, whatever position you apply for next, make sure it has the words special projects somewhere in the title. Because he knew I'm really project oriented. As soon as I get into maintenance mode, I get bored. I self-sabotage. And somehow, I don't even know how he knew that. And then the next thing out of his mouth was, you can do anything you set your mind on. Find something that's meaningful for you. Don't just take the next job. And the rest of our conversation went along those lines. But I'm telling you, this was years ago, and it still sticks out in my mind. I still think about this person and the advice he gave me without it being advice. He just knew me. He saw me. He valued what I had to offer. And that's a story that I can share with somebody, with anybody, that they can relate to. It's not epic. It was lunch, for goodness sake. Mm -hmm. But it was highly meaningful. I love that story, and it, and it nails the point for sure. Talk to us a little bit more about the confidence level and how that changed from that lunch. You, I'm assuming you didn't just call the office and say, that's it, I'm done, I'm doing something different. <laughs> I wish. There, there was <laughs> some sort of journey that you took from that low point in that conversation to gaining your confidence back. Talk to us about like, how did that manifest? That is such a great question. Like most situations, when you look back, you can see how those dots connected. At the time, I didn't know. You usually don't know the meaningful stories at the time they're happening. It's not until later on that you can look back and say, oh, that was, that was a pivot point. And um, sometimes it helps to be asked those questions. That's, that's what I do. I help people uncover those pivot points because sometimes you have to externally process them. You have to tell the story to really understand the impact of it. So I love that you asked that. And um, there were a couple of other people I talked to at that time because I asked for mentorship from three different people in town that I really respect and admire. And one of them, did not give me what I thought I wanted. 
And I, I'm phrasing that very specifically, very intentionally. She didn't give me what I thought I wanted from her. She uh, owns a, a personnel company. So she places temporary employees. She does some recruitment. Um, it's one of those companies. And I thought, oh, this woman can probably find me my next job. Woohoo! <laughs> um, but instead, she gave me an analogy. She didn't say, oh, apply for these jobs, or I'm going to put your name in for this job, which is what I wanted or what I thought I needed. She said, yeah, I know how awful that can be. You feel like you're stuck behind a semi, like one of those trucks carrying a bunch of cars on it, and you're following up behind it, and you're just looking up at that car at the end of the car carrier, just wondering when it's going to collapse and come falling down on you as you're driving 70 miles an hour. And I actually use that analogy in my book because it's, again, another great story. Using analogy is, is a great opportunity. And um, I can tell you that after that conversation and understanding that I was following too close to my semi, I took that analogy and I ran with it. Not only was I following too close to it, I was making it drive even more erratically. So I'm thinking about my boss. She's not a horrible person. She is uncomfortable where she is. There are all kinds of reasons she's behaving that way. And my being right up on her tail is making her even more unpredictable. And I was imagining myself driving and scaring the crap out of the other people in my car because I'm swerving, trying to get a clear spot to pass. And I'm being unpredictable because I'm just desperate to pass the semi. Yeah, so I remember, yes. Keep on. Well, just the, the confidence that changed. First of all, hearing from Jim that I could do anything that I wanted, that this very smart, very driven, um, clearly uh, insightful person, that he could pick this out about me, special projects, <laughs> be project-oriented, don't try to do a maintenance mode position. Like the fact that he saw me and he had that confidence in me was almost all I needed. But of course, you know how things kind of collect and snowball into the next thing. It's not like one thing was going to suddenly make me confident. But between that and understanding how I was getting in my own way with my boss allowed me to take that breath, back off that truck, give myself a better view of what was going on, enjoy the company in the car. Um, that's what shifted. And I was able to take my next interview because I was getting interviews, but I wasn't nailing them. And the next interview I had, I nailed because I had had that breathing room. It wasn't right away. And I, it's not like suddenly I got along with my boss. <laughs> that just not, that was not going to happen in this scenario, but I was able to take that step back and adjust my behavior so that I didn't hate myself. Because every time I fell into the mud with her, I'd walk away feeling dirty. You know, when you've told those two stories so far, I've noticed that you're very specific about the detail. And that detail, it brings me into your story, right? I was sitting next to you in that car behind that semi. And I've had that experience where it's like, I'm just waiting for the latch done and the the logs come running down the road and you're doing the James Bond thing. <laughs> so 
answer this question, please. That's intentional, right? When you're, you have thought through those stories, thought through those details, talk to us about that aspect of, you know, what you do professionally and how you incorporate those details to bring your audience into their stories. That's such a, another great question because it's something that after so many years, I do pretty naturally. When I'm working with a coaching client or with a team, I really get them to start there. Where were you sitting? What was around you? Who was in the room with you? What was the weather like? Put yourself there so that when you're describing it to others, they can be there with you. So one of the things um, that I, I tell a story about another job where I had to go into my boss's office and I don't have to give you a ton of detail. All I have to do is say, I walked into this room that is a former um, judge's chambers in one of these really old buildings in town, floor to ceiling oak bookcases filled with law books. And he's sitting behind his huge oak desk with his feet up on the desk, leaning back in his chair. And I had to have this conversation with him. That was what, 10 seconds of background. And now I can launch into the meaningful part of the story. But what that does is it gives you that feeling that you're there with me. And even if this has never happened to you, you can still be there with me in some other way because somebody else you know has been in that position. You've been the guy in the chair with your feet on the desk. There's something in the story that's relatable. So taking this one step further, you know, there's been plenty of times that I've stood in front of an audience and opened up a speech or talked about something to finance. And I get back to reality after the fact that I'm like, oh, I should have told this story because it would have related better. <laughs> and I also think about, you know, us in the EO and the entrepreneurs organization, we do this thing called a lifeline when we meet in groups and we talk about a, the highs and lows and medium parts of our life going back from really day one to today. And there's peaks and valleys, as you would expect. Talk to us about using that type of exercise, you know, those pivotal points, the highs and lows of your life, to identify stories to help sort of, I don't know, enhance, improve leadership skills. Okay. Well, let's start with the, the winning stories. You know, you, you want to share a win. You want to share a success story. You want to bring people up. You can't start with the bragging, I did this. Nobody's going to want to hear that. And, and maybe, maybe somebody in the room will want to hear that, but it's not going to inspire the people who need a win in that moment. What will inspire them is first hearing the obstacle. So if you start with setting the scene, um, having a meeting with funders, and you saw one of the funders that you knew from a past experience was really difficult, you didn't get along with her years back, and she's sitting in that room, you walk into the room and you know, you're going to have to really nail this for everybody else in the room because she's not going to like whatever you put out there. So you start with what was the obstacle? What was the challenge? Why was it a challenge? You can't vilify the person because that just makes you look bad. But if you can set the stage like this was the challenge and this is how I handled it, 
and these are the people that supported me, or this person said this, and it really felt like I had an advocate in the room. The story can't be all about you and your win. It has to start with the obstacle. It has to include the other characters that were supportive or not supportive. You know, having somebody that you succeeded out of spite, that also can be highly uh, inspiring to people because everyone has somebody they want to show that they did it. Um, and then you end the last, I don't know, 50% of the story is about your win, about what it felt like. And then the ultimate um, impact of that success. How did that help somebody later? How did it help you later? Why was it meaningful to achieve that goal? That's very, does that answer your yeah, question? It does. It's really helpful. Um, and it brings me to sort of present day, right? There's one exercise of looking back over your life and identifying pivotal points and coming up with stories and structuring those way in a way that's listened to or, or impactful. Talk to us about today, right? We're living, breathing, living today, leading, you know, every all that. How how can we capture our stories sort of in the moment without needing to reflect back? Or, or maybe can you, I guess is my question. Can you sit there and say, I'm in a I'm in a storytelling moment right now. I want to make sure I capture the color of the trees and where my dog was and those types of things. Talk to us about how do you live a present day sort of storytelling mentality. My favorite keynote presentation to give is storytelling and personal brand. And the reason for that is it it puts you in that present moment because you're starting to collect your stories. Exactly as you said, you notice a moment, whether you're sitting in the car driving your kid to soccer practice, or you're walking your dog and you see a tree limb that fell down during a storm. And you just know that this has the potential for being a story later on. What I think about a lot is um, your personal brand in terms of your current actions. So your everyday life are your future stories. So think about it in terms of those stories being in alignment with how you want to see yourself and how you want others to perceive you. So that means if you're sitting in the car driving your kid to soccer practice and they're talking to you and you're zoning out, is that how you want to be known to your kid? You, you could tell that story. I was totally zoning out. I have all this stuff on my plate. And I realized I'm sitting in the car with my 13-year-old kid who's going to be out of the house in a few years. And I brought myself to that moment and turned on a song that I knew she liked so we could sing it together. Then you have a story. You have to be in that moment and know how you want to be known. You have to have conscious, intentional actions every day so that you're building the stories that you can tell later. And one way to do that is to start what I call a satisfaction journal. People know gratitude journals. There's all kinds of research out there that is very clear that a gratitude journal changes your neural pathways to look for good stuff. You actually become a happier, more satisfied person when you keep a gratitude journal. It's 
proven time and time again. Neuroscience proves it. You can do this with a satisfaction journal so that you're also building stories. So gratitude journal focuses on, I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for sitting in the car, getting this opportunity to drive my daughter to school or to drive my kid to soccer practice. I'm grateful for that moment in time. So add that to a satisfaction bent. So you look at it from, I am so satisfied with myself that here we were in the car, my brain was elsewhere, and I brought myself to that moment to enjoy it, to truly connect with my daughter because there's only so much time in the day and only so much time left that she's going to be here in my home. And then she's going to be driving. In a couple of years, she'll drive herself to soccer practice. And I'm so proud of myself. I'm so satisfied with me that I stopped to do this. So that's where it's satisfaction as opposed to gratitude, where they're both incredibly valuable. If you want to start building those stories and you want to start thinking about how you can be in alignment with how you want to know yourself and how you want others to know you, that's how you collect those stories. That's awesome. And do you find, I guess it's personal preference, but is that a daily activity? Is it a morning or an evening reflection have you found a place where that fits in the day perfectly well because i know you and your strengths finder results <laughs> i would say that's what i would recommend for somebody who has um, certain natural talents um, anyone with consistency and let's say intellection context maybe even strategic those those natural talents lend themselves to developing a routine around collecting your stories. If you're talking to somebody like me with adaptability and activator, where routine is the furthest thing, it's not even a word in my vocabulary, really. I mean, I brush my teeth every day, but it might be at a different time <laughs> each time. Um, for somebody with different strengths, I would recommend a different collection strategy. So for me, um, because I'm story-oriented, I'm doing this naturally all the time. When I need to collect stories, I really think in terms of who can I talk to that will help me uncover the story that I need for this purpose. So I always embrace the talents of the people around me that are very different from mine and very complementary to mine. And that external processing really helps me. That's useful. Very useful. So let's take a different approach and talk about you. I'd love to understand or tell the audience, you know, your background, um, then up to being in the compliance and now into pro professional speaking and coaching. Like, take us through your journey. Well, I did mention I have adaptability and activator in my top talents. And for those of you unfamiliar with StrengthsFinder, those words are exactly what you would think they are. Um, people with adaptability in their top talents, generally, there are exceptions, of course, generally are two to three year employees. I also have the, the um, desire to learn deeply. I don't have a learner in my top talents, but I love to dive into something, learn as much as I can about it, and then move on to something completely different. And I love to apply everything I learn from every situation to wherever I'm sitting at any given time. 
So all of those years of event planning um, and organizing public sector work in um, at the university system, doing improving transfer for students across the state, working in compliance, I can tell you all of that, everything I experienced in those scenarios make me a much better coach than I would be if I had stayed in the same job for a long time or even in the same industry. So as you could hear, <laughs> I've done a lot of different things. And it was about probably 10 years ago. I've always had a side hustle, again, because I get bored and I don't want to change jobs all the time. So I would always have a side hustle. And I started teaching people, I would do trainings on customer experience, customer service. And I had contracts with libraries across the state. Um, I worked within the city where I worked with the 911 dispatchers. I worked with parking commission employees, as you can imagine how that goes with customer service. Um, and what I realized is that the, the thing that made my workshops most valuable for people was story sharing. So rather than saying, this is what you should do, this is what matters in customer experience and making it very academic, I can easily share a story where I received really good or really poor customer service or where I gave, I offered really good or really poor customer service in my time as a restaurant employee, in my time as a compliance officer, in my time as a, the director of sales at a hotel. I can share those different stories and then people can say, oh, I can see where they went wrong. And then of course I would involve everyone in the room. Tell me about a great customer experience. Tell me about a time where you felt like they really nailed it with your customer service. And we would start with that, which meant that everybody would be on a high because they're talking about good stories. And then we might bring in the edge. Well, tell me about a bad customer experience. When did you offer really poor service? When was a time where you had a really crappy morning and you just could not bring it that day? And it just helped people relate. So that was like 10 years ago, I started seeing this pattern. And when I started my podcast, it was about Oh, four months before I started it, I still didn't have a title. I didn't know what I was going to call it, but I just knew I wanted, I wanted to share people's stories. I wanted to hear people's stories and help them develop them to be inspiring. One of my coaching clients has MS and she had been speaking, but she was asking me how to tell these stories without telling people that she had this diagnosis. And I said, why? why would you not include the diagnosis in your story? She said, I don't want to be known as the woman with MS. And I said, Linda, that's not, that's not how I know you. I know your diagnosis. The way that you've talked to me about your diagnosis, all I see is resilience, perseverance, power. I see you as inspiring. So it's not the way, it's not your diagnosis that's going to define you or this word. It's how you talk about it. 
And about two hours later, your stories don't define you. How you tell them will came into my head. And that's the name of my podcast. It's the name of my book because people have to understand that. And there's a lot of research out there now around storytelling that the way you tell a story changes your identity. It changes how you see yourself. And that's, that's powerful. Very powerful. Talk to me a little bit more about the clients that thank you. You know, what, you know, we've got somebody in the audience, their stories are going through their head. They really would like them not to define the, their life, but how they tell them. Like you're, talk to us about the clients that find you and what, what they're trying to accomplish um, through your process. Sure. Well, I'll start with a recent client. I met her because I had the opportunity to speak at the Montana Tourism Conference. It's the biggest conference of the year for our state outside of the Manage Montana Conference, which is the State Employee Managers Conference, which I spoke at last year. But this year, I got to speak at this tourism conference, and there was a woman in the audience who is a CEO of a distillery in the state, a highly successful distillery in the state. And she's part of an organization of CEOs, multi-million dollar business CEOs. And it's all about inspiration. This organization is about sustainability. It's about um, having a purposeful business. And she was invited to speak on the topic of perseverance. She came to me. She said, I want to nail this. It was a TED-style talk. I want to nail this. How do I nail this? I want to work with you because this is my opportunity to really inspire. And I said, absolutely. And we had, we had three sessions. That's it. We had three sessions to work through this. And with somebody like her, she already had lots of public speaking experience. She already does a good job. She knows that. But this was more important. And in the first session, we talked through which stories mattered in terms of how she could demonstrate perseverance in her own life. And what I noticed right away was that her stories were more about resilience than perseverance. So we had to define that. We had to notice the distinction. What's the difference between resilience and perseverance? And I came up with this idea that it's like a rubber ball. And there's actually a song I sing with one of my bands called Rubber Ball. And I said, imagine a rubber ball. You hit it against the floor pretty hard. And you know that it's distorting when it hits the ground. It's squishing a little. And then when it lands back in your hand, it's fully formed again. It's back to its normal shape. That's resilience. Comes back to its normal shape. Perseverance is bouncing that ball harder and making it fly higher every single time. Mm. And that was what she used as her tagline. She said that three different times during her speech, and people came up to her afterward telling her she had them in tears. Mm. And she heard laughter throughout it. And she sent me a text message immediately following and said, I cannot believe how amazing that was. So that's, that's one client that I've worked with recently. Um, I could describe other stories, but I think that's one of my favorites for right now because it was so strong and 
I enjoyed it so much. So hopefully that answers your question. It certainly, it certainly does. And I, I'm envisioning a bouncing ball. It's amazing how you're putting images in my head. Um, so my second favorite question to ask my podcast guest is, Sarah, if you were going to give yourself a younger version of yourself advice, you're coming out of college or graduating high school, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself that I, I need to periodically decide how I want to be known and live in alignment with that. And it won't be the same throughout my life. At 20, it's going to be different from 30. It's going to be different from 50. So periodically choosing and being intentional. The reason I say that is because there were times in my younger years that I wasn't as supportive of people as I wanted to be. And I look back and I have these cringeworthy moments where I could have been the support for somebody and I wasn't. And the thing that upsets me the most that I most fear is regret. So at this point in my life, I really think about that with every interaction, with every conversation, even as I'm hiking on the mountain and I see a piece of garbage, I pick it up. When I'm with my dog, I'm completely with my dog. I don't want to be distracted. Same with my kids. And these are all, if I could have told myself this at 20, pay attention. These details matter. That's powerful. Um, so Sarah, how can audience members find you? Do you have a social media platform of choice, LinkedIn, email? Talk to us about how, how an audience member can get in touch with you. I am pretty active on LinkedIn. And my tagline is, the smile is free, which is a whole other story of a dear friend who worked at Walmart for a while. And she smiled all the time and people would come through the line grumpy and they'd say, I don't know how you can smile all the time. I don't know how you could be so happy at a job like this. And she would say, well, I can't give you anything. I don't have any money, but my smile is free. So I asked her if I could have it. And she said, yes, that was going to be the name of my first book, which I never wrote about customer service. <laughs> um, and my website is elkinsconsulting.com. My Instagram is at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lynn, L-Y-N-N, Elkins, E-L-K-I-N-S. And just so that our listeners know, when you go to my website, there's a free download for the podcast interview checklist. So if you're going to be interviewed on a podcast, you actually have a list of things you can do to be prepared and feel confident as you step into that. I will go grab that very shortly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those handles and website URLs, they'll, they'll be in the show notes as well. So just scroll down and you'll, you'll find how to get in touch with Sarah. Sarah, it's been great having you on the show. It's wonderful to reconnect. Thank you for all your contributions today and insight. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. What a treat. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.